Several years ago, I um, had this urge, this um, desire, and it was a weird desire. It was to go to seminary. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that urge in your life. Um, Maybe not. Um, But I just wanted to go to seminary because I had this deep, deep sense that I wanted to know the Bible more. And even since uh, I was a little kid, I can remember being really... um, really in love with this script, with this text. And I remember wanting to consume more and more and more of it. And I remember coming to several points in my life where I just thought, man, if I could just study the Bible and teach the Bible for my entire life, that is what I would love to give my life to. And so that led to me to seminary. We got to learn a lot of great things at Den- in Denver Seminary uh, about how to read the Bible, and, and I'm trying to pass some of those along to you because I want to I want to make the Bible um, come alive to you this year. We have said we want to listen for the voice of God. Who would like to hear the voice of God? Raise your hand if you want to hear the voice of God. You need something answered. You got a question, right? We all want to hear the voice of God. And my reply to you, part of it is, have you read your Bible this week, right? <laughs> God's Word was available to you and to me all week. Uh, Most of you have at least one or two copies, or some of you have even three copies on your bookshelf, some of them being more dusty than the others. And we are giving ourselves over to learning this incredible book. And, And one of the things I've been doing is each week I want to give you a little tip. A listening to the Bible tip of the week. So the tip of the week for this week um, for our misquoted series is this. Look for reoccurring themes. Look for reoccurring themes. So some of you have sent me emails about this. We've talked about this where you say, man, the Bible, the Bible's confusing me, Pastor Brian. Well, one of the things you can do uh, is that you can underline your Bible. I have all kinds of cat scratches inside of this book. I have things underlined and highlighted and circled. And one of the things I do on a very, very regular basis is to... Um, underline or circle words that are reoccurring or themes that are reoccurring. See, this is not just a whole bunch of stories that are kind of um, broken up from each other. They are one book put together by God's Spirit Himself, and there are reoccurring themes that happen throughout the Bible. And so when you're reading the Bible, what I want to encourage you to do is to put on the filter of, I'm looking for themes, I'm looking for things that keep coming up over and over. And that's what we're going to do this morning because we need to talk about a verse that isn't in the Bible once again this morning. And that is Second Opinions 5 verse 8. Have you heard Second Opinions 5 verse 8? It's a good one. And it's this verse. God helps those who help what? Themselves. You've heard this one, right? Be honest with me. How many of you thought that might be in the Bible? Anybody? Any? No? Eh, maybe? Okay. I, this is one that sounds maybe like it, like it belongs, like it should be in there, like there's some, maybe some wisdom literature where it should be in there where we're trying to say, you know, like, well, maybe God helps those who help themselves. It should be in there, but surprise, surprise. It's not. I actually read several reports this week uh, of speakers and people talking and quoting this as scripture and saying, yes, in the scripture. And then the reporter's going, I don't think that's really in there, right? 
See, um, we like this, and it was made famous by a, a man named Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin really made this famous in his Poor Richard's Almanac. If you go to, if you see his old Poor Richard's Almanac, you can go through there. One of the phrases that he has in that almanac is this phrase, God's help those who help themselves. And honestly, it's one of those that I think it's likable, right? It's one that you kind of go, I kind of think I, I like that. Because it leads us to two kinds of theology. Follow me here. Uh, one type of theology that it leads us to is quid pro quo theology. Meaning, like, you do something for me, and then I do something for you, and then you do something for me, and then I do something for you. And the fairness police in, in the midst of us really like quid pro quo, right? If you're really interested in being fair in life, you really like it when somebody does something and then someone reacts to what that person does in kind. And that is called quid pro quo theology. So basically what it's saying is God will help people only once they help themselves. So it hinges upon that you have to first help yourself and then that God helps you. It's quid pro quo. You do something for yourself and then God does something for you. Or it leads us to bootstrap theology. We like bootstrap theology because we're Americans, right? So Americans, we like bootstrap theology because we like the theory that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, so you can make something of yourself, that you live in America, and that anything is possible, and if you just work hard enough and long enough, then good things are going to happen because God helps those who help themselves. It's in there. It's not. But we like that theology, do we not? We kind of like that bootstrap theology. See, it's interesting because it's, it's not that we just like that bootstrap theology. That theology is found elsewhere. Actually, interestingly enough, that theology is found uh, heavily in, um, in Islam, is Islamic beliefs. So um, here's what it says. Um, here's what it says in the Quran. Quran 13.10. This is really in the Quran. This isn't like a made up not in the Quran. It's in the Quran. And it says this. Indeed, Allah will not change the conditions of a population until they change what is in themselves. And you think, man, that's a pretty good idea, Allah, right? That, that God only helps those who help themselves. That you have to take care of some things before God helps take care of you. And, and, and so um, we like this because it creates uh, this sense of like a good work ethic, right? We want to say, okay, if we work hard, then we earn some favor and then God will help us because we've already done some work. And he, don't, listen to me very clearly. I'm not advocating laziness, right? Right? James, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, he says, faith without works is what? It's dead. He says, faith without works is dead. So it's not, I'm going to advocate for laziness here, but the reality is this is not found in the Bible. In fact, what is most often found in the Bible is this. God helps the helpless. Romans 5, verse 6. You don't like to think of yourself as helpless. I don't think I like to think of myself as helpless. Americans don't like to think of ourselves as helpless, but listen to this verse. Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still helpless, while we were still powerless, that Christ died for the ungodly. And if you want to look for one thing within Scripture, it's that God helps those who can't help themselves all the time. 
all the time. In fact, he picks this guy named Abraham, who's nearly a hundred years old. He can't have kids. He has no heir apparent to him. And he picks this guy, the guy who can't have children, to, to like make a nation. So he picks the helpless guy and says, listen, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to actually help you have kids, and you're going to become a great nation. Then he takes these Israelites who are enslaved in Egypt, and they can't do anything other than make brick all day long. And he says to them, you're helpless, you're stuck in slavery. So I'm going to bring this guy named Moses, who doesn't, by the way, speak very well. He's not very good at what he does either, and I'm going to take you all out into the promised land. I'm going to help you, even though you're helpless. He picks fishermen in the New Testament. He goes to these fishermen and he says, hey, follow me and I will make you, I will make you um, fishers of men. Right? And, and here, here's the translation. Listen, these guys weren't smart enough to have a rabbi. That's why they're fishing. They're in dad's trade because they flunked out of rabbi school at some point. And so Jesus says to them, I'm going to help you, the helpless, the fishermen, you come follow me and you're going to change the world with me. I'm going to help the helpless. And on and on and on it goes. The theme of Scripture is that God helps the helpless. I'm not advocating for laziness here. I think we should be Christians. We should be ones that work very hard. We should work as if working for God Himself. But I'm not going to advocate for this verse. God helps those who help themselves. I'm not going to advocate for this um, in, as a text in the Bible. There might be some wisdom in it. We may have some things that we like about it, but I'm not going to advocate for this being Scripture because it's simply not there. Most often, God helps those who are helpless. We just don't like to think of ourselves as helpless. Got it? Beyond that, um, and because of that, What I really want to spend a lot of time on this morning, the reminder of our time this morning is, then how do we respond knowing that we have been helped even though we're helpless? And and here's the deal. Uh, I could stay on that, but I've been teaching a lot on how God helps the helpless lately. And I just want to take the second look at this passage and kind of move on to some other passages to talk about our responsiveness to God who helps the helpless. So, um, fair warning, if you're in the room and you're like, I don't need help, you're going to hate the rest of it. You didn't like very much the first part, so it's okay. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, stream something in your ear without me seeing it. I don't know. Um, we have to come to the point of knowing that we are helpless and we have been helped. And because of this, there are four teachings that I want to look at that tell a different story. Four teachings of Jesus that kind of teach us a reoccurring theme. So let's turn to Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 7 and 8. We're going to look at a bunch of scripture. If you want to follow along, I'd encourage you to. There are Bibles in front of you. You can grab those. If you don't have a Bible at home, or two or three, take that home with you. Um, And don't just take it home, read it, because a Bible um, that isn't read is like you owning gym equipment at home and never using it. Okay. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Here's the context. Uh, Jesus is sending out disciples. He's sending out uh, his disciples and he's saying to them, hey, here's what I need you to do. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So he's saying to his disciples, 
The kingdom of heaven has gone near. You need to tell them this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. And then he says this. Very important verse. Freely you have received. Freely give. Freely you have received. Freely give. This is part of this reoccurring theme. That freely we have received. And freely that we Give. We help those who can't help themselves because we have been helped because we couldn't help ourselves and we have been given it freely. Ephesians 2 verse 8, very famous passage. It says this, for it is by, anybody know this one? It is by what? Grace you have been saved through faith and this is a, somebody help me. It's a gift. This is a gift, not of yourself so that no one can boast. It's a gift and you have been freely given it. So Jesus lines up his disciples and he says to them, listen, freely I have chosen you, freely I have picked you, freely I have loved you, freely I have healed you, freely I have forgiven you. And now you must go and give that freely as well. You must freely give with your arms wide open to the world. You must give, 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 give. Freely you have received, freely you should give. Matthew 25. Let's keep painting the picture here. Matthew 25. We're doing a little systematic theology today. You didn't know you were doing that, but you're going to. All right. Matthew 25, 35 through 40. Jesus doesn't just direct his disciples in this. He also loves to tell stories. We did a really fun series last year uh, on the parables of Jesus. And so um, we looked at this parable, and this parable is of the sheep and the goats. And the sheep go to heaven, and the goats go to the other place. Okay? Uh, Spoiler alert. I don't want to be a goat. Okay. (laughs) And he says to them, verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him. The sheep will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Jesus himself said, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. See, when we, when we love those who are unlovable, when we freely give to those who are hard to love, right? When we give to those who, that, that needy friend that we don't really want to deal with, and you'd like, you, you kind of, you look at your phone and you're like, oh, they're calling again, not going to pick up this time, hope they think I'm in the canyon, right? <laughs> If you've laughed, you, if you laughed, you did that. And if you, if you didn't laugh, you might have made the call. Anyway, um, <laughs> Jesus sums it up and says, listen, whatever you do, you do unto me. You freely receive, you freely give. And when you freely give, when you help the helpless, you help, you help me. When you do something simple like the incredible volunteers across the street are helping with our kids, they're doing it unto Jesus. When you're downstairs in the nursery and you're loving kids and you're, and you're just putting your arms around them, what you're really doing 
is you're embracing Jesus. When you give your finances like you just did, you're giving that so that the church might go and do things, and you're giving it so that Jesus might be loved, Jesus might be proclaimed. When you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you do it unto me. When you work with your coworker, the way you treat that coworker is the way you are then treating Jesus. The way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your friend, the way that you treat your kids. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did unto me. So Jesus paints this picture. He starts, listen, freely you have, have, have received, freely give. And when you give, listen, you don't just give to that person, you give unto me. He further clarifies in Luke 10. Keep going. Luke 10, 27. Luke 10, 27. It's a famous, famous passage. You'll know this one, right? Even if you didn't go to church very much, you don't know your Bible very well, you can memorize this verse. I know you know it. On one occasion, an expert in the law, I'm starting at verse 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? By the way, um, like over 600 laws in the Bible, so it could have been a long conversation. Um, and Jesus answers this guy, instead of listing off all of the commands found in the Old Testament, he answers him by saying this, verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as... Come on, somebody help me. Yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, see, he says, listen, I know there's a lot of laws. I know the Bible's confusing. Let me just sum it up for you. Like when you read this, you go to Leviticus and you're like, oh, there's that verse on like, if I have a blemish that I need to go talk to the priest and he needs to tell me whether I'm healed or not. I'm not supposed to like plant in the field with two kinds of seeds like what is that all about i'm i'm really reading from leviticus here right you read do not steal you're like "Eh, i get that one you read do not lie you're like oh i get that one but then you're like um do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of the beard and you're like i'm a little confused jesus right and she says listen 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 let me sum this up let me sum it up for you Okay, Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not that those laws don't mean anything. It means that the heartbeat of those passages, those laws, have to do with two things. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. You can sum up, you don't throw them away, but you can sum up all of those laws with two laws. Love God and love others. And so Jesus continues to paint this picture freely. You have been given to freely. You should give. When you love, you, you love as you love me. If you want to sum up, and then he says, if you want to sum up all my teachings, everything that was all written in the Old Testament, you want to make the Old Testament really simple, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then Jesus, who is so great at this, he doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk, John 15, 12, and 13. So right before Jesus is going to go to the cross, one of his own disciples 
has already um, betrayed him. Judas has already uh, sold him out, and he's going to be um, brought under trial. He's going to receive several trials, and then eventually go to crucifixion upon the cross. And he's sitting with his friends, and he's having this last conversation that he knows is his last conversation. We we call this uh, the Olivet Discourse, this big section of Scripture where Jesus is with his his disciples. And he builds up to this, this moment here in verse 12 where he says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved You And then he wants to draw a picture for them. Like, well, what does love look like, Jesus? And he says this, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. See, he's sitting at this dinner and he wants to say to them, See, you don't know love. (laughs) He wants to say, if you knew love, this is what love is. Laying down your own life for your friends. And I'm convicted by those words. Um, oftentimes I do marriage counseling and I try to talk to couples about how to love each other and how to care for each other. And I think young couples, it's great. They try love. It's awesome. Um, I, I don't think love comes until you're a little more um, like a fine wine. Can we say that? Okay. A little older. Right? You've loved a little harder. You've gone through some things together and you've stuck together through it all. My grandpa, um, man, he loved my grandma. My grandma passed away this past year and um, she uh, had dementia at the end of her life. And um, so she couldn't remember much. Uh, I remember being there for a week right before she passed away. And um, at one point, she, she saw this picture of my grandpa on, the, on a slideshow of pictures that was up on her dresser. And she was like, who is that guy? He looks awesome. And I'm like, he is awesome, Graham. He's your, he's your husband. You did really, really well. And he did even better, right? So, um, and I just remember like my grandpa being so patient and so gentle and so loving. And, and honestly, that's what love is. Like love is not when you're infatuated with each other and you just want to spend more time and hang out. Love is when it gets hard and you stick with it and you put down your own agenda and you love that person, even if it costs you all that you have. So we freely love because we've been freely loved. When we love others, we love Jesus himself. Um... We can sum up the entire Old Testament and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then ultimately Jesus says, I will love you to the point of death. And he goes and he sacrifices himself on the cross so that all men may have life through his death. And so here's the big idea, right? We're looking for a reoccurring theme. And here's the reoccurring theme today. The big idea is move from selfishness to selflessness. Move from selfishness to selflessness. James 1. Love the book of James. James, brother of Jesus. Very practical. Love the book. Short and sweet and to the point you can read it this afternoon if you want to. He says this, verse uh, John 1. Or James 1, sorry. James 1. 
verse 27. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in distress, to look after the helpless ones. That's Brian's translation, okay? That's not the Bible either, but I'm helping you, right? To look after those who are helpless in that day and age, in that culture, the widows and the orphans were the most helpless in that culture, still, still true today. So religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's a whole other sermon, being polluted by the world. Um, whole other thing. Uh, but I want to focus in on this. We need to be those who practice true religion. We as a church need to be a church that practices true religion. And it's going to cost us something. Because helping widows and orphans in distress, it costs us something. Um, helping the helpless, it costs us something. Being a voice for the voiceless, it costs us something. Loving the unloved or the unlovable costs us something. And what Jesus is calling you to, is, and he's calling me to it the same way, is something that I think is far greater than many of us want to come and sit in church and be comforted about life in. in. I, I think he's asking us something really, really, really difficult. Right, last week we said Jesus himself comforts us, but he also calls us out of the comfort. I had a pastor friend who said this in every sermon. He wanted to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. Okay? Some of you will get that tomorrow. That's pretty good. Okay? And I just want to make this practical for us. Right? I want to make this picture that Jesus has woven together, I want to make it practical for us, this theme I want to put together for us, because we are called to do this. We're, we're going to sing a song, and it says we're called to be his hands and feet, okay? We are called to live this out. This faith is not meant to be active, and it's not in the terms of God helps those who help themselves. We're not, we're not trying to play quid pro quo here, but we know that we have been helped, so then we help. Because we have been helped. And here's a picture. I'll invite the worship team to come up. Because here's where it's practical. In our relationships, I honestly think this could be like, I don't know, magical is not the right word, but this could help a lot. So go here with me. Think about some relationships that have not gone well in your life. Think about them. I bet in most of them, if I were a wagering man, I would bet that most of them had to do, the fracture in that relationship had to do with somebody in that relationship caring more about their own needs than the other person's needs. I mean, I say, I say, this, to, I say this to young couples all the time. Listen, if you, if you loved that person and, and you cared so much about everything that they need and not so much about what you need and they did the same for you, your marriage is going to be great. But, but here's what happens. We get in the midst of our relationships and, and we get hurt and so then we hurt or, or we feel like we need something out of that relationship and we're not getting it and so we get mad and we get bitter and, 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 and if, if she would only give me what I want or if he would only give me what I want and then round and round we go on this thing called the crazy cycle and I'm not just talking about marriages here. In your relationships that have been fractured in your life, think of it, be honest with me. 
Honestly, do you sometimes go, if that person would just do what I want them to do, then this would be better. Right? We do that. And Jesus says, move from selfishness to selflessness. Stop thinking about yourself so much and think about the needs of the other person. See, Jesus' theology was the other theology. He gave His life for the other, not for Himself. He gave it for you, for me. We didn't deserve it. He loved the other. He cared for the other. He went to the broken. He went to the hurting. He went to the woman at the well. And He loved her. He went to the woman who was caught in adultery and He loved her. He went to all the broken, the poor, and the powerless. And He loved them and He calls us to the same. If we want to live real Christian, real followers of Jesus' lives, we're going to take this really serious. You've been on an airplane flight lately? Anybody? Right turn. Follow me, okay? They, they do this thing where they're like, hey, get off here, get off here. You know, brace yourself if you need to brace yourself. They go through the whole routine. Here's how to put on a seatbelt. If you have not done that in a while, probably shouldn't be on an airplane. Um... And then they do this part where they say, if, if something occurs in the cabin and there's an, a pressure loss in the cabin, oxygen mass will fall from the sky, right, into your lap. And, and even though it looks like there's nothing flowing through them, you should trust there's something flowing through them. Thankfully, I've never seen that, never had that happen to me because I don't trust them. Um, and then they say this. This is kind of fine print. They don't always do it in every, but they say like, Make sure you get your mask on before you give somebody else their mask. Have you heard this on airplane? And, and they're talking about safety here. They want to make sure you're safe and that you don't, you don't, you know, endanger yourself before you help somebody else. That is not the gospel. It's good airline flight wisdom. It's good airline flight wisdom. It is. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this, that you would reach over, that you would grab that oxygen, that you would put it on that other person, even if it costs you your life. So practically, how will you do this this week? How will you live this out? How will you give your life over for the other? That's what we are called to do. Heavenly Father, we want... we Even as I'm hearing this... Um, myself, I'm convicted and scared. Because I'll be honest, God, there's some days where I do not want to do this. There are days when I just wish that um, my needs would be met and that I would be taken care of and that the world would um, somehow revolve around me. And I'm not sure I want to give that up. And I know that there are those of us in the room, if we're really honest, um, maybe that's what's in our mind and our heart right now. And so we ask, God, um, that you'd make us open to this. That you'd make us humble. That you would help us to acknowledge the amount of need that we have and, and how much we have been saved from. And that we may go live out of that. That we may go out loving others as herself. So God, this is such an easy command and it's also such a hard command, but we ask through your spirit that you would empower us this week and every week and every day to be those that would
focus our eyes on you and focus our eyes on those who are in need of help. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand to sing our last song.